need to pull your chair closer to the microphone or the microphone closer to you. So, is that better? I think I can hear you now. Okay. Sure, where do you live? I live in London, England. How long have you lived in London? Uh, the last five years. And are you employed? Yeah, I work for a hedge fund in uh, South London. How long have you been doing that? Uh, just over two years now. Do you know uh, the defendant, Neil Entwistle? Yep, I've known Neil since university. And what year, if you recall, was it that you first met him? Uh, it would have been the autumn of 1998, when we uh, both joined at the same time. Did you have an occasion to spend time with him at uh, the university? Yep, quite a bit. We used to row together, um, so we saw each other on a pretty regular basis. Part of a rowing team? Yep, the university rowing club. And were there uh, one or more other persons that were part of your uh, circle of friends? Yep. Um, really, my sort of second year at uni, there was myself, Neil, uh, Rachel, um, a gentleman called Dash, and uh, another guy called Rich. We were sort of in a crew together, and we sort of hung around together on a pretty regular basis and had a very good time. Would that be uh, Rachel Souza? That would be, yes. And did you come to know her later as Rachel Entwistle? Yes. And uh, Dash or Dashel's last name, sir? Uh, sorry, his last name is Munding. And uh, do you know, is that spelled M-U-N-D-I-N-G? Yes. Did you have an occasion uh, over the years to uh, spend time with the defendant when he and Rachel Entwistle um, began a relationship? Yes. Um, in my second year at university, they started dating. Um, so we were sort of all around at the same time, so it was quite good fun. That would have been 1999 or 2000? Yeah, it would have been the uh, spring, summer of 2000. Did you have an occasion to attend uh, their wedding in August of 2003? Um, unfortunately not. I was invited, but at the time I was um, away traveling, so I couldn't make the trip, unfortunately. From when you first came to know the defendant and Rachel uh, Souza, uh, up until the uh, time of their wedding, did you have an occasion to observe their relationship? Yes, quite frequently at the university. Describe that just in ge general terms, if you could, sir. Sure. They seemed a really loving couple, really nice, really comfortable in each other's company, and really good fun to be around as well. So I really like the pair of them very much. Now, sir, you would mention a gentleman by the name of Richard as part of your uh, circle of friends. Uh, what's yes. Richard's last name? Sorry, Richard's last name is Skinner. I want to call your attention, sir, if I could, to uh, honor about January 23rd, a Monday, 2006. Uh, did you have an occasion to receive a telephone call from uh, your friend Richard Skinner? Yes, I did. Um, as, as a result of that, did you have a series of phone calls with a number of individuals? Yes. And eventually, whether or not sometime in early February 2006, did you have an occasion to uh, speak with the defendant, Neil Ann Wessel? Yes. And when did you speak with him? Um, it would have been early February after I'd emailed him to check to see how he was. And when you spoke with him, was that by telephone or in person? Um, initially it was over the telephone. Prior to that uh, telephone conversation uh, with the defendant, uh, back to uh, 2003, how, had you remained in contact with him? Um, very infrequently, unfortunately, but we had sort of remained in contact. And how was that contact? Um, was it in person, in writing, email, or? We'd spoken a couple of times over the phone and occasionally met up at um, reunions for the rowing club um, on a sort of annual basis. Now, sir, in that early February 2006, when you had a telephone conversation uh, with the defendant, 
Uh, tell us what uh, he said to you and you said to him. Um, basically, yeah, Neil called me at work um, and I asked how he was. Um, he sounded qu quite distressed um, and said, you know, can I come down to London to see you? Because I'd initially emailed him and said, I hope you're okay. And if there's anything I can do to sort of help you, please give me a yell. This is my mobile phone number. Um, so shortly after that, he asked to come down to London and spend a couple of days down there with myself and Dashiell. And uh, did he eventually come down? Yes. And do you recall when he came down, the date as best as possible? It was a Tuesday. Um, I'm not entirely sure which date in February it was. It was early February on a Tuesday? Yeah. Did you and Dashiell and the defendant get together? We did, yes. And where, where did you get together? Um, initially, I met um, up with Neil and Dash at Dash's house in Notting Hill. Um, and then we then went out for dinner that evening. And do you know where uh, the defendant was staying uh, when he was down in London? So he was uh, staying with Dash um, in Notting Hill at that time. What was your reason for going out that evening? Um, basically sort of meeting up as a group um, to see how Neil was and sort of try and sort of figure out what was going on and if there was anything we could do to help really. That was sort of the, the crux of what we were trying to do. You eventually got together and uh, went out for dinner? Yes. And did you have conversation with the defendant during that dinner? Yes. And was that conversation concerning uh, recent activities uh, back in the United States? Yes. And tell us, if you could, what you recall that conversation to be, what the defendant said to you. Um, certainly. Um, we sort of discussing in general terms what had gone on um, and sort of asked Neil sort of for his version of events, so to speak, as to what had happened. Um, he sort of explained that on the day Rachel and Lillian had died. He'd gone out that morning and returned and um, unfortunately found them dead. Did he say what time he had returned? I think it was around 11 a.m. Did he say where he had found them dead? Uh, in one of the bedrooms of the house, I think. What, if anything, did he say that uh, he wanted to do next? Um, basically explained that he was totally devastated. Um, so he went downstairs to the kitchen to get a knife to basically to commit suicide effects and sort of to end it, um, so to speak, um, because he was so upset. Uh, did he say anything further? Um, yeah, um, but he sort of explained that he hadn't been able to do that, so he then drove to his um, parents-in-law's house um, it, with this sort of objective of getting a pistol from his um, stepfather's gun collection because he knew he had guns there to use one of those instead. Did, um, did he say where he, uh, he went? So to their to their house. Did um, he name the town or the city, if you recall? Carver, I think, something along those lines. I think it was. Did he tell you whether or not he was able to get down to Carver and, and get a pistol? He said he'd gone to the house, but unfortunately he wasn't able to get in. Um, so he sort of spent a couple of minutes calming himself down and started to think a bit more clearly, mercifully. What if uh, anything else did he tell you, sir? Um, at that point. Obviously, he explained that he'd calmed down. Um, so his next sort of thought was to tell somebody what had happened. So he sort of set out to find his step-parents, who I believe were at work at the time, and managed to, to find, find them and sort of inform them what had happened. Did he say who he found? I believe he found his mother-in-law first um, and sort of explained to her, obviously, the sort of circumstances of what had happened. And what did he tell you happened next? Um, they basically all returned to um, the step-parent, uh, sorry, his parent-in-law's house, um, where sort of Neil's extended family sort of started to congregate, I believe, and were all extremely upset. Um, and at that point, I believe he 
spoke to the state police, um, sort of told them what had happened. Did he tell you how he had gotten in touch with the state police? I believe it was over the telephone. And did he say when it was? Was it that same day that he had gone down to Carver initially to get the pistol and then he uh, said he found his uh, parents-in-law and went to the house? Yes, it was late that evening. Did he say anything further about uh, contact with the police? Um, at that point, he had, he, he sort of, that was the last time I think he spoke to him in the States. Um, after he returned to the United Kingdom, I know he spoke to local police on a couple of occasions and was informed by them that they'd actually found Rachel and Lillian um, on then, and I think he spoke to him a couple of times after that as well, sort of Did discuss he various things. Sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Did he say the, the local UK police or was... Uh, sorry, was it's the local United States police. And what, if anything, did he say about uh, the contact that he had received from the local US police? He was slightly surprised um, because they called him to say, I hope, I'm sorry to inform you that we found your wife and daughter, and there seemed to have been a breakdown in communication um, between themselves and the state police. And as he'd already reported this, he was quite surprised that someone was now phoning him under the assumption that he was unaware of what had happened. Do you recall anything further about what the uh, defendant had said about what had gone on uh, over in the States? Um, yeah, he sort of explained how he'd sort of come to leave the country. Um, he was saying that at his um, parents-in-law's house, he was he sort of felt slightly isolated because sort of her family was sort of consoling each other and basically decided as he was quite upset, he really wanted to kind of get out of there. So to a certain extent, one of the few places he knew in the States is that they'd only been there a short while was the airport. So he sort of drove there um, and spent the night in his car there sort of to sort of be alone and sort of get some air, I guess. And after that, um, thought he'd like to fly home to the UK to be sort of surrounded by his family who were all sort of based over, over there still. Um, so he took the next flight he could across um, to the United Kingdom. Sir, did the conversation that you had with uh, the defendant that evening uh, turn to other topics? Yeah, we sort of got on to other things, um, sort of such as finances. Um, we sort of, Dash and myself were looking at ways we could sort of help Neil um, as he was based in the UK now, possibly in terms of putting him up and anything else, and things like finances and sort of arrangements, other arrangements came up. What uh, did the defendant say about his... Uh his finances, his living condition uh, sure. situation, excuse sure. me, and, uh, and his working situation, if at all? Um, his financial situation was quite perilous um, from what he was telling us. Um, when he moved to the States, he'd been doing a little bit of um, freelance consulting while he was looking for full-time employment, and he lined up a couple of interviews, but unfortunately, because of what happened, obviously, that had all gone out the window, and he and Rachel purchased a house over here on a sort of very large mortgage, and also bought a car and things like that. So they were sort of balancing the books with a fair bit of effort, so to speak. And as he was no longer working, basically everything sort of on a financial level sort of come apart. And so he was thinking about um, filing for bankruptcy, I think both here and in the United Kingdom. What, was he clear, sir, about uh, the home as to whether he rented it or, or had purchased it? He was very clear about that. That was something um, we queried with him because by that time, there had been a few reports in the press, and one of the things that had been mentioned was the house was being rented. Um, so after we sort of asked Neil, we assumed that was just an oversight by the press, and we were inclined to take what he'd said as the truth. Did he had said? Uh, did he? Did he say anything about how uh, he had purchased the home? 
You said it, they'd taken out a very large mortgage, a 100% um, plus type deal, I think it was, um, because they had, hadn't got that much equity invested in it themselves. What, if anything, did he say about uh, what was going to happen to the house now? He thought that when he declared bankruptcy, the house would sort of be seized by the creditors and sort of used to settle some of the outstanding debts. And what about motor vehicles? Did he talk to you at all about uh, any motor vehicle that, uh, that he had? Yeah. Um, he had a black BMW, I believe, and he said that they purchased that as well. Was there further discussion about uh, um, spending habits, in particular uh, Rachel's spending? Um, we sort of came on to that. I mean, one of the things that was proving quite difficult was Rachel was quite keen to sort of kick the house out now they'd moved in. So as and when Neil was earning any money, it was almost immediately being spent sort of doing up various rooms for Lillian and around the house. Um, so they sort of, yeah, basically just about keeping the heads above water. And that's what the defendant had told you about uh, the spending situation? Yeah, and they're sort of using credit cards to sort of pay for various things and sort of trying to pay them off as best they could. Sir, did you uh, spend further time with uh, the defendant uh, in Dash that evening? Um, beyond dinner, we sort of um, took the tube home um, and sort of arranged to meet up the next night, but that was the main body of the evening was when we went out for dinner. Okay. What did you do, if anything, the next evening? Um, that evening, we arranged um, for Neil and Dash to come round to my house for dinner. Um, and we sort of had a quick meal there, and then we went out to the cinema that evening. And what, uh, do you remember what movie you saw? Yes, we saw something called Fun with Dick and Jane. Did you spend a period of time with uh, Dash and the defendant that evening? Yeah. And at the end of the evening, did you part ways? Yes, we did. And um, that was Wednesday? That was Wednesday, yes. When did you speak with the defendant next? Um, the next time I spoke with Neil would be on Thursday morning. Um, I received a phone call um, from a police officer in Nottingham saying that... No, you had, so oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. You had a conversation yes, with a police officer? Yeah. Um, as a result of that conversation with the police officer, what, if anything, did you do? Certainly, I called um, Dash's mobile um, to find out where he and Neil were and spoke to them both at that point. You spoke to Dash? Yeah. And did you eventually speak to the defendant? Yes, I did. Tell us what, if anything, you recall about that conversation. Um, I mean, I had a couple of conversations with him that morning. The main gist of them were, I hope you're going to be okay. If there's anything we can sort of do further to sort of help you, please give us a yell. Um, and best of luck, because it was, at that point it was becoming quite clear that um, the police were sort of looking to get hold of him quite quickly, and we weren't sure when we next got a chance to speak to him, unfortunately. Was that the last time that you spoke to uh, the defendant? Yes, that morning was the last time we had contact. Just one moment, Your Honor. Sir, in your conversation or conversations with um, the defendant uh, that Thursday morning, uh, did you tell him anything uh, about the conversation that you had had with the police officer who called you? Yeah, I explained that I'd received a phone call um, asking me to ask Neil um, to return home, and they asked us to arrange for him to get on a train um, back home because um, some members of the U.S. authorities were keen to to speak to him, possibly look at maybe moving him back to the States, and they wanted him to return home so they knew where he was. You passed that information on to, on yes. to him? Welcome, Mr. Pryor. Hi. 
the, uh, and that Thursday morning, uh, you, you called from the police was to first ask you if you knew where Neil was. Yes, that's correct. And to relay a message to him. Yeah. The message from the police was for him to come home. Yes. Uh, and you knew that to be where his parents were. Yes. Works up. Yes. And, and come home because the U.S. police uh, wanted to uh, begin extradition. Yes, it was along those lines. Based, they wanted him to return home so they had a clear understanding of where he was. You passed that information along to Dash. Yes. And when you did that, you were on the phone. Yes. And you knew that Neil was right there beside Dash. Yes. In fact, you could hear almost a three-way conversation because the message was relayed to Neil, and you can hear his response that I, I better get going. Yes. And, and so in, in essence, that was the communication that you had that Thursday morning with Neil. No. Um, well, it was directly with Dash. I spoke with Dash initially, and I also spoke with Neil once it became clear um, because he initially, I, the last time I spoke to him was on a train station somewhere in London um, looking to go home after we'd been informed that the police wanted to pick him up immediately. Um, he, and he was on his way home. He was on his way home at that point. And that had been the, the mission that you had initiated when you reached out to Dash that Thursday morning. Yes. Because the, the request was from the authorities and workshop to two things at least. See mm -hmm. if you could find Neil yes. and relay that information that it's best that he come back home. Yes. And home, of course, is where his parents were. Yes. And you had also talked with Neil back that first uh, dinner that you had together with, with Dash in, in the restaurant. That's correct, yes. And there was conversation there that had to do with the activity that was going on back at his parents' home in Worksop. Yes. Uh, kind of unusual activity. Yes, it didn't the look like much fun. The media was camped out on their property. That's correct, yes. Uh, surrounding the house. Yes. And nobody could go anywhere without members of the media being right there. It didn't look very pleasant at all, no. Um, and indeed, he explained to you that's one of the reasons why he came down to London. Yeah. Try and take some of that that pressure off of his family. Yes. You know, the pressure of the media being constantly present and, and almost sitting in their home. Yes. And um, sorry. <laughs> I'll do what I got to And and that was the part of the discussions that you had that first dinner. That's correct. Yes. And again, when you had dinner at your own home, the second night, you yeah, invited Dash and Neil to come. Yes, I did. And, yes. and have food at your place. Mm -hmm. And Neil was concerned for his family back in Worksop. Yes. And he expressed that to you. He did, yes. And Neil was also concerned about the loss of Rachel and Lillian. He was, yes. He you knew Rachel. Yes. You hadn't met Lillian. No, I hadn't, no. And you knew Rachel from the time that you were, your term was university? That's correct, yes. And that was York University? Yes. You first met them as a couple uh, before they were a couple? That's correct, yes. Does that make sense? Yep. Because you're all in the same uh, rowing club? Correct. And you're all on the same boat? We were, yes. 
And when you use the word you crewed together, you were just, you were a crew in a boat, mm -hmm. and you were a crew hanging out partying. That is correct, yes. And that crew was yourself, and it was Dash, mm -hmm. and it was Rachel, and it was somebody else as yes, well. Yes, a gentleman called Richard Skinner. And this part of that crew became more than just rowing mates. That is correct, yes. And you got to watch that evolution. Yes, we did. It was absolutely a smile-on-your-face experience, wasn't it? It was good fun, yes. We ripped the mercilessly about it and had quite a bit of fun at their expense. Because you were the single guys, mm -hmm. and Neil was losing his bachelorhood. <laughs> yes, that's one way you could put it, yes. Uh, he was no longer free to be with you guys because he was showing his devotion to his new girlfriend. If the witness is able to answer, he may. They were very close, yes. Um, as we all went out as a group, as a general rule, we didn't really see less of them because of that, but they were very devoted to each other, yes. And when you went out, there was a group of, of the guys and the woman from the boat, but two of those folks were an absolute couple. Yes, towards the end of our sort of second year when they became an official couple, they were very, very much together. They moved in together? Not at that point. Um, I think that was after university that happened, but yes, they did. And the relationship, from all that you could see, was only stronger? Yes, they seemed very much together. Yeah. And if loving can be more so, it was more loving? I mean, yeah, I haven't really got particularly great experience that myself, but yes, they did seem very much, <laughs> very much a loving couple, yes. <laughs> and they became engaged? Yes. And the bonds between the two of them, from all that you could see in your frame of knowledge, were stronger. Yes. I mean, they would be one of those sort of couples, we call it like the 2.4 children mob, where you saw them very much it's housed up with children looking to the future. Tell me that one again, because I didn't hear you. Sorry, 2.4 children, it's sort of a British phrase, and you sort of got a couple and you can see them in the house with a dog and a couple of kids further down the road type thing. And that's the way you viewed the relationship between Neil and, and Rachel? Yes. And they got married? Yes. And they came back and began their life together as a married couple in, in, uh, in the London area? Um, I think they were further north than that. They weren't actually based in London. Well, I'm, <laughs> trying, to, I'm trying to do it because I don't know the map that way. No, no worries. I think, yeah, they're... Um, Droitwich. Somewhere, yeah, further. It's, by our standards, it's quite a distance, but obviously the estates is probably nothing at all, really. Uh, but that's where they live together as husband and wife. Yes. And you, you had contact with them. Yes, on occasion, and yes. Everything that you knew was that this relationship was rock solid. Yes. And then they moved from the United Kingdom to the United States. That's correct, yes. And the next you saw Neil was back in February of 06. Yes. And the world that he knew had crumbled out. Objection. Sustained as to the form of the question. From, from all that you knew about Neil, uh, his world had changed. Yes, it had changed significantly, yes. And the world and life that he had with Rachel Lillian had ended. Yes. And he was displaying grief as far as you could see. 
Yes, he looked very uncomfortable. I have nothing else. Thank you, sir. Sir, when was the uh, last time after um, your college years that you had seen the defendant and Rachel together? That would have been at one of the annual rowing club dinners, I think, either 2004 2005. I can't yeah. remember which year it was off the top of my head after that. And from then until, from then until uh, 2006, end of 2005, how many times did you see them together? I hadn't seen them. I'd spoken to them both on the phone on a few occasions, but I hadn't actually seen them together. And when was the last time that you had seen them? Prior to February? Uh, probably sometime late 2004, 2005, I think it was. Thank you. That'll be all. And when you saw him at dinner in 2006 with Dash, mm -hmm. He was totally devastated. Sustained as to the form of the question. You testified that he appeared to you at that dinner with Dash to be totally devastated. He he was not himself. He looked. He was very very upset. He was playing with his wedding band, and yeah, he just he wasn't the same sort of happy go lucky type of guy I've known in the past. Thank you for sure. Thank you. Nothing further. Thank you, sir. You may step down. Thank you. <coughs> Please state your name and spell your name for the record. Uh, Dashiell Munding. That's D-A-S-H-I-E-L. Munding, M-U-N-D-I-N-G. Good afternoon, sir. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Cornwall, UK. How long have you lived there? Uh, close to three years. Who do you live with? Uh, I live with a lady called Sharon Reynolds who's moved recently. Do you work? I do. What do you do for work? Uh, I run a, uh, a music studio and we're building a couple of websites. How long have you been running that music studio? Um, two years. And what about your website work? Is that something part-time on the side or? No, no, that's for, that's for the same business. It's a music distribution website. Do you know the defendant, uh, Neil Entwistle? I do. How long have you known him? Um, since, mm, since about 1998. And where did you meet him? I met him at university. Did you become friends? We did. Did you get to know uh, a Rachel Souza? Yes. And what about a uh, Benjamin Pryor? Him too. Richard Skinner. And him. And how did uh, the five of you know each other? We all rode together at the University Boat Club. Did you also uh, spend time together socially? Frequently. Did you have an occasion to uh, learn at some point in time whether Rachel, uh, Souza, and the defendant uh, began a dating relationship? Yes. And did you eventually uh, attend the wedding of Rachel uh, and Whistle? Rachel Souza and Neil and Whistle? I did. And do you recall when that was? Beg your pardon? Do you recall when that was? Um, <laughs> that was in 2003. Did you have an occasion to uh, uh, spend time with the defendant and Rachel between when you first got to know them and them uh, when they got married? Um, infrequently, yes. How often would you see him? Or them? Um, 
after our after our university career, significantly less, perhaps once or twice. What about from uh, 2003 after the wedding until 2006? How many times uh, did you see the um, defendant and, and Rachel? Perhaps, perhaps once. And would you speak at all, or communicate yeah, by we, email? Yeah, we talk on the phone. I want to call your attention, if I could, sir, to uh, early February of 2006. Uh, did you have an occasion to hear from uh, Mr. Antwistle? Yes. And how did that come about? Um, he had been in contact with um, Rich Skinner and Ben Pryor. And as a result of that, were you contacted? Yes. Do you recall when you first uh, spoke with the defendant in early February? Not the precise occasion, no, but he did, he, he telephoned me. And did you... Uh, I didn't hear that, sir. He... He telephoned me. You spoke by telephone? We did. And do you recall that first conversation? <clears throat> yes. What did he tell you? He told me that he was at his parents' house in Worksop, that um, the media, the press were outside his family house, and it was very difficult for him to stay there. And he asked whether he could perhaps come and spend some time with me in my house in London. And at the time, you, you're living in Cornwall now, I take it now that uh, back in February of 2006 you were living elsewhere? I was. I was living in Notting Hill. And did you and the defendant make arrangements where uh, he would come down to London and spend some time with you in February of 2006? Yes. Do you recall when he first got down there? Um, I can't recall the specific date, but it was a, it was a Monday night. I met him at King's Cross train station. And when you met him there, what did you do? Um, well, I greeted him. I gave him a lift back to my place in Notting Hill on the back of my motorbike. And um, I think we probably sat and had some dinner. Over the next couple of days, did uh, you spend some time with him? Yes, I did. And whether or not uh, you spent some time with uh, Benjamin Pryor as well? We spent time together, all three of us. And do you recall? Uh, uh, over the course of that time, having conversation with the, with the defendant about uh, certain events that had taken place in the United States. Yes. And tell us what you recall about those conversations. Um, could you please be a little more specific? I mean, would you like a narrative or? Well, did he uh, did he tell you about something that uh, uh, involving Rachel and Lillian? Uh, yes. What did he tell you first? Um, he told me that on the on the day that they were found dead, he um, had left the house early, quite early in the morning, leaving them asleep. I think. Did he say what time he went out? Um, before nine o'clock. I can't. I can't remember the precise time. Did he tell you uh, where he went? He said that he went shopping. Um, I think he mentioned the store Staples. And what, if anything, did he tell you about uh, his home or the condition of the home when he left it? Um, he said that he left the back door unlocked. And what did he say about when he was out shopping? That he didn't purchase anything. Did he tell you what uh, he'd observed when he had arrived home? Um, he said that the back door was still unlocked when he came back um, and that there was nothing disturbed, particularly in the house, until he um, went to his bedroom where he found Rachel and Lillian um, under a blanket. 
Did he say anything about whether he had contacted anybody when he found them? Um, not when he found them. He didn't, he didn't say that he contacted anybody at the moment that he found them, no. What did he tell you next? He said that um, he left the house um, and that he went to the Matarazzo's house, Joe and Priscilla, um, thinking that that was the only place he knew that there might be firearms. And did he tell you why he had gone down there for firearms? For firearms? Yeah, he wanted to. Um, he wanted to make sure that they were secure and that nothing was, nothing was wrong, nothing was missing. Did he tell you how he found the Matarazzo's home? He said that it was locked and no one was there. And no one was there. Yeah. What did he tell you next? Um, from there, he said that he went to um, Priscilla's office and that um, he made a telephone call and spoke to a law enforcement agency. I can't remember which one. You're not sure which, which agency? I'm not sure which one. Did he say whether or not he had any conversation with uh, Priscilla uh, or other members of the family? Um, I'm not sure about that. I don't, I don't think that he did. He didn't specifically say so. What did he tell you happened next? That he left the office and drove for some time. That, um, that he found himself at the airport after driving for a while and that he wanted to, that he wanted to be with his family, that he wanted support from them and um, that he booked himself on a flight in the early morning having spent the night in the car park. And was this the early morning uh, after uh, he told you he had found um, Rachel and Lillian? The morning following, yeah. And where did he uh, say he flew? What did he tell you about that? Uh, he flew to, flew to London, I believe, and um, from there went to his parents' home. Did he tell you what, if anything, he had done at home? Um, <laughs> not that I recall. Do you recall any conversation about uh, the funeral, the funeral arrangements, and what, if anything, he had done that day? Um, on the day of Rachel and Lillian's funeral, I think he went to, he told me that he went to the place where he proposed to Rachel. Did he tell you where that place was? He did, but I don't recall. Do you uh, recall any further conversation uh, with the defendant? Um, there was further conversation. Um, are you sorry? Can you be? Well, let me let me ask you this: Did you then? Uh, do you recall going to dinner with Ben uh, prior on one evening and the defendant? I do. And do you recall another evening where the three of you went out to the movies? I do. I want to bring your attention to the next morning. Um, were you with the defendant that morning? Yes. And had he spent uh, the previous few days at your apartment in London? Yes, he had. And what time do you remember getting up? Um, it was a work day, so I would have been up sometime between 7 and 8. Was the defendant there when you got up? He was. And did you have conversation with him? I did. And tell us what uh, you spoke about. Um, that morning, Neil had received a telephone call from his father saying that the police were looking to arrest him. And Neil told me that he was going to go back up to works up and, and uh, hand himself into the police there. What did you do? I offered Neil um, 
a lift back to King's Cross, where I picked him up from, where he could get a train back up to his family house. And did he accept that uh, offer for a ride? No, no. He, um, he preferred to make his own way. So what did you do? Uh, Neil and I walked to Labrick Grove Tube Station, the underground, so that he could get a tube to King's Cross by himself. The tube would be similar to a subway? Precisely. And how long of a walk was that from your home to the, the tube? Uh, five minutes, something like that. And when you got there, what did you do, sir? Um, I said my goodbyes to Neil, um, shook his hand and slapped him on the back, and, you know, <laughs> it was <laughs> a difficult moment, but I tried to wish him well, and, um, and I made my way back, walking back to my house. And where did he go? Where did you see him go? Neil walked up to the platform. And that platform headed to where? Um, it was a platform heading into London on the train. On the, the subway platform? On the subway, yes. As you were walking home, did something occur? Uh, I received a telephone call. From whom? From Detective Sergeant Flood. Did you have a conversation with Detective Sergeant Flood? I did. As a result of that conversation, what, if anything, did you do? Um, DS Flood had... Um, as a result of that conversation... As a result of that conversation, you just, I, you I, I returned to the tube station. You walked back there? I did, and um, I climbed up to the platform to, to talk to Neil. And when you got to the platform, was uh, the defendant still there? He was. And did you have a conversation with him? Yes. Uh, what did you say and what did he say in return? Uh, I told Neil that... Um, I had received a phone call from the police that they were looking to pick him up in London and um, I suggested that he could accompany me back down, to the, back down to the pavement outside the tube station where the police had requested that I meet them. When you told them that, what did the defendant say? Um, the defendant said, <laughs> Neil said, that um, he didn't want to talk to the police here, that he'd rather return home, and he asked whether there was some other way of getting off the uh, getting off the platform. And what did you say? I said that um, you could leave the station on a train or down the stairs. And then what did you do, sir? Um, I left Neil on the platform and I walked down to the pavement. When you got outside, did you see anybody? After a few moments, the, uh, the police arrived. Did you speak to the police? I did. How many police arrived? Three. And uh, what happened next after you spoke with the police? Um, one of the three remained with, remained with me on the, uh, on the pavement, and the two other officers went up to the station platform. After a period of time, did you see those two police officers again? Uh, they, they came back downstairs, out of the station, and got into their car. And then what did you do, sir? Um, after some moments, the... Uh, police officer said I was free to go. I returned home. And did you go home? I did. Nothing from you. Good afternoon, Mr. Mondick. This was uh, what day of the week that you last saw Neil? I last saw Neil on a Thursday. And at what time did you last see him? Um, I can't remember specifically, but it would have been perhaps nine, something like that. Morning. In the morning. And earlier that same day, you uh, were relating to us all 
about a telephone conversation that Neil had with his father. Yes, sir. And that call came into uh, your apartment on one of the phones that was there or else? No, that came to my... Uh so the phone call between Neil and his father yes. was on Neil's mobile telephone, I believe. And Neil was in your place when that call came in. He was. And, and he related to you, as you've related to us, what the conversation was about. Yes, sir. Uh, in substance, it was that Neil's father had called saying that the law enforcement, the police back in the uh, workshop, were asking Neil to come back home. That's what he said and because there was some conversation about arresting Neil. Yes? Yes. And, but, but the arrest was going to take place back at where Neil's family was. That was my understanding. And that was the request that you understood was the subject matter of this conversation on the phone between Neil and his dad. Yes. And when you left, when I say you, you and Neil left your place in the morning, the purpose was for Neil to get back up to Worksop. That's correct. So that he could see his family. Yes. And so that the arrest that was very clear to, to Neil, to you, uh, would take place after Neil had that opportunity to be with his family one more time. That's what I understood. Right. And that didn't happen. Uh, no, sir. And it didn't happen because you got a call uh, after this, between Neil and his dad, in which you said the flood, he's one of the... Uh, he's a, a member of the Metropolitan Police. Metropolitan in London. In London. So, Mr. Flood called you and said, uh, get a hold of Neil, we want to arrest him here. That's correct. But Neil wanted to go back home first. Yes. And so you left Neil at the tube. That's correct. Uh, you couldn't figure it out, so you just left him there. It was, it was his choice of what to do. It was. I was. I was in no way tempted to coerce him to do anything. You weren't going to get in the middle of something between the London police and Neil. Exactly. Or the Worksop police and Neil. Exactly. Or the Worksop police and the London police. Were you? <laughs> no. And. Everything that Neil communicated to you that morning was that he knew the police were com coming to arrest him or bring him back to the United States. Yes. And then he wanted to go home first. Yes. Neil was a um, quiet guy. He was? Uh, that was his basic demeanor, a quiet... Yes. Uh, he was had a girlfriend that was much more outgoing. Yes. And as a couple, she was the more gregarious or outgoing of the two. She was the more vivacious. I was going to use that word. And he was always quiet. Um, he, was, he was a quiet guy, but he wasn't shy of, you know, socializing or having a... But even in social situations, his general demeanor was quiet. He was, yeah, he was more reserved than Rachel, certainly. Reserved. Uh, and that didn't change all the years that you knew him? No. Uh, it was a little different when you saw him in February of this year, because he was upset. Of course. 
Thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. Ruji Sheikh. 